You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. I think for a lot of us, I know it's happening for me. Um, as things continue to open up, I, I realize that I have spiritual muscles I haven't used in a while. That in some ways I, I've grown a little bit uh, of a spiritual atrophy. Uh, one of those is that kind of fellowship <laughs> that, you know, we've been f- maybe moved away from a little bit. Some things that we used to do that we don't do anymore that will be important to pick up and do, uh, especially as things open up for us. Just be mindful of that in your own life. Just be mindful of the places, man, I, I, need, to, I need to grow there. I, I need to get stronger there. And I know when you ask the Lord for things like that, he's so faithful. He'll bring those things. He'll, he'll, he'll cause you to grow, and that's just what he'll do. And so I'm just going to pray for that in all of our lives, that we grow spiritually, especially the weeks, the months, the years to come. So, Father, as we take this time and, and open your word, we just ask that our spiritual muscles would, would grow and we'd grow strong. And those areas I know for me that I, I can see have atrophied because I just haven't used those muscles, that you would strengthen them, that I would be well-rounded, Lord Jesus, that our community, our church would be well-rounded and strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, if you do this, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12 in just a moment. We're continuing our series, The Gospel Story. I want to thank Pastor Mark for the last three weekends. Great job teaching us through this series. We've been studying the book of Genesis, and we've gone through Genesis 1 through 11. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but those chapters primarily deal with huge events that take place early on in biblical history. You have the formation of the universe. You have the fall of man. You have the flood of the earth. You have fallout that came from rebellion in uh, Babylon. And then you have the forging of a nation. And so chapters 1 through 11 have talked to us, have spoken to us about certain events. The timeline for those five events is approximately 2,000 years, according to biblical history. About 2,000 years this, this took place. Today, we step over the threshold. Today, you go to a different place now. You're going to chapter 12. Now, we're going to refer to chapter 11 just a little bit, but you're going to go to chapter 12, and what happens now is we step into chapters 12 through 50. The spotlight shifts from events to people, and the people that you're going to know now, these are people who've been tasked by God to pointing us to the future Messiah. Remember, we're talking about the gospel found in the Old Testament, seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. So these people are going to point us to Jesus Christ. In Genesis 12 through 50, focuses our attention on four main people. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This consumes the rest of the book of Genesis. And what you're going to notice is that their lives and their events, their circumstances, are saturated with the gospel story. So don't miss that. When you study their lives, know that the gospel story is right there, pointing us to Jesus Christ. The beauty of the gospel story is that God chose people to tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What has always been the most powerful uh, influence on this planet has been your story, your testimony about how God changed your life. 
how you've been transformed. It's the gospel story in your life. Now, our evidence of that fact is, again, the timeline that Genesis spends telling us about people. When you think about the next few chapters, as I said earlier, chapters 1 through 11, about 2,000 years, compared to chapters 12 through 50, which cover a span of about 350 years. So you can see the difference. What's, what's God saying? He's saying, okay, slow down, slow down now, and I want you to pay attention to what's going on in people's lives. So the closing statements in Genesis chapter 11 tell us that Abraham is from the lineage of a man named Shem. So after the flood, you have a man named Shem, and, and Abraham is from his lineage, from Shem's lineage. And from Abraham, you come down, and it culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ coming and then coming again. We can never lose sight of that. So whenever you're reading the, the narrative of Scripture, the, the truth of God's Word, always be thinking the gospel. Always be thinking, what is it telling me about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? What I want you to do is do this with me just for a moment. I told you to go to chapter 12. Just flip back a little bit. Go to verses 27 to 32 in chapter 11 because this tells us about Abram's journey and background. Now, I want you to know a little bit about the man. I want you to know a little bit about this person. Now, I might uh, make a few interchanges here. I might use Abram one time and Abraham another. Please forgive me if I don't use it at the appropriate place, but we know who we're talking about. We're talking about here, Abram. His name hasn't been changed yet, but there's a background. There's a story here that shapes his life. I, I don't know if you've ever really paid attention and, and looked at what is his background, what what, what kind of guy was he? We all have a background. We all have a story. We have things that shaped us and, and influence how we see the world. Well, Abraham had the same thing. He had three things that I think dramatically shaped his life. He was a man who came out of idolatry. He was a, a man who experienced the tragedy of death when he was young. And a man who had to deal with in family infertility. These three things, and if you, you put them in your life today, you would, you would say, yeah, those things are things that, that influence me. Those are things that shape me. Well, Abraham was no different because when we read this passage, you're going to hear a few things, uh, a few indicators about where he comes from and his background. It says this beginning at verse 27 of chapter 11. It says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah is Abraham's father. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The, the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless. Because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Aaron, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. It's very important you remember this, to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Abraham from 
a place called Ur, Ur of Chaldeans, today is southern Iran, a very advanced culture. They were the most advanced culture of their time during that, that era, that period in, in history, but they were also the center of idolatry. This was a place you could go and you could find any kind of idol you wanted to find to any kind of God that you wanted to find, and you could have idols made. You could have idols created for you in this place. I'm saying all this so that you know where Father, the Father of faith, came from. What, what did he come out of? What, what, again, what influenced him? A culture that was the most advanced known culture in the world, but very godless. We also have a pretty good idea that Terah, his father, was an idol maker. So he got into the commerce of making idols. Now, if you follow that, think about it for just a little bit. Back then, they would pass a trade on. It was culturally uh, acceptable. It was, it was expected that you did what your father did. If your father was a mason, you'd be a mason. If your father was a carpenter, you'd be a carpenter. Terah was an idol maker. So that indicates to us that somewhere along the line, Abraham and Nahor and probably Haran also, as sons of Terah, had that as their occupation. So they were professional idol makers. That, that's really what they did. In all of this, what happens in all of this is God appeared. See, God can appear in the darkest places. He can appear in the most idolatrous places on the planet. And that's why we never dismiss anything or anybody that God points us to to pray for. That we never write anyone off. Because here is the father of our faith, <laughs> the father of all who believe. He's in this place of idolatry and God appears to him in a culture saturated with idolatry and tells him, get out of this culture, I'm calling you to a new land. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life where you've just kind of been going along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, a voice from God says, go here. Now, maybe it's not a literal, audible voice that you hear, but you have this very deep impression that you're not to be where you are, that you're going to be moving or are in the process of being shifted. I've had that experience. I've felt that only maybe in my life has come maybe two or three times. And one of those times was coming here. We knew there was a shift. We knew there was a change. We were being called out of Portland. Uh, we, were being we were being called out of idolatry to the promised land. And, uh, and, 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 and that's candy for us. And so this is how God worked in our lives. But it was very distinct. We knew it. We felt it. We could experience it. And that's exactly what happens here for, uh, for Abraham. He's moving. He's being shaped by God in all of this. And so what do we have here? We have another event that shapes his life, and it's the tragedy. Did you notice that little line in there, Haran died in Ur of Chaldeans? That's Abraham's brother. So we have this distinct impression, which I think is accurate, is that he dies prematurely, that his brother dies of some sort of death, some tragic disease or accident or something, because it tells us that his father lived beyond him. It tells us that his brothers lived beyond him. In fact, so much so that in those days they took a young boy named Lot and Abraham adopts his nephew. So there's some sort of security for him. So he's molded by these things and, and these kind of events do affect us. When you experience a significant loss of a loved one, it impacts your life forever. That time, that day, that moment that you hear that loved one has passed, it is forever fastened in your mind. It's something that you'll never forget. You know exactly where you were. 
to know exactly what you were doing when you heard the news. So this tragedy, this pain, this loss shaped the early life of Abraham. That he lost his brother. And then there's something else that we give our attention to. And I mentioned it earlier in verse 30 of chapter 11. Is it says, and Sarai was barren. That Sarai was not able to conceive. His wife was barren. They had no children. Listen, that's a big deal. That's a big deal now. And it was a big deal then. It's a big deal for couples who are infertile that, that want children. And they want them so bad that, that they're, they're, they're just they're pining for those kids. And they want those kids. And we've been in relationships. We've been in counseling with people who've, who've gone through this. And it's no small matter. This is a big deal. And so what's happening there, especially in ancient cultures, it went even deeper because it was seen as a curse from God. That, that if you were not able, if you were infertile, if you're not able to have children, it was seen as a curse. In fact, we get an indication of that. Remember what Sarah prayed? She said, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Not having children was an affliction. So you have Abraham coming out of idol worship the death of a brother, the heartache of infertility. That's lots of pain, lots of tragedy. And God uses all of this to bring blessing in his life. And I think for any of us that are going through, you know, a difficult time right now that we would remember, I know it's been important for me to remember this, that even the most difficult time in life, that God will show up and that God will speak to you and that God will bless you. That he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You see, that's what this story tells us about the influences on Abram's life. And then you look at verses 1 through 9 in chapter 12. Because it's here we read about Abram's spiritual journey. That he goes on a spiritual journey and he goes on a literal journey. And, uh, and I, wanna, I want you to notice a few things along the way. Let me begin with verse 1. And read through to verse 9. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now I'm going to stop right there for a moment. He went on a big journey. He left Haran. And he went to the promised land, which was Canaan. And he came in from the north. He came in actually from the north of the promised land. And, uh, and, and, and we were there. And I, I actually saw, maybe we might even have a picture of it. I saw the, uh, the original arches and the gate that he would have had to enter to come from the north into the land of Cana. And that is the arch. It's the oldest known stone arch in the world. And it was excavated not too long ago. But Abraham, Father Abraham, the one we're talking about, walked through that door, walked through that gateway. That was the entry point into the land of Canaan. So when he stepped through those doors, when he went in through that threshold, it was all land that God said, I'm giving you. Imagine that. 
imagine what he probably was thinking and feeling. So he steps through there. Now, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of a great tree, Moriah, at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. He repeats it again. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now I want you to notice, go back to verse 1 and see what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, it doesn't say the Lord said. Rather it says the Lord had said. I want you to pay attention to that. The Lord had said. Get out of your country. Leave your family. Go to the land that I'll show you. So when had the Lord said that? When did the Lord say this to him? The Lord didn't say this to him while he was in Haran. The Lord actually spoke this to him when he was in the Ur of Chaldeans. So this goes back a ways. So the Lord had spoken that earlier on in his life. But it was said when he was in the Ur of Chaldees, he heard God talk to him and say, get up and go. He got up and he went, but he didn't go all the way. Notice there's a bit of a hiatus there. It's important that we see that. He stops in Haran. Haran is believed to be Terah, his father's homeland, his, his home city. But they stop there. And what they do is they spend 15 years before they finally make it to the promised land. 15 years. In fact, he doesn't fully obey God's command until verse 4 of this chapter. So when they left Ur, notice in verse 31 of chapter 11, it's his father Terah that's leading. But God told him to lead. God said, you lead. I don't know what went on in that exchange, but somewhere along the line it says that Terah stepped up and led. He, he, I don't know what happened. I don't know what the dynamic was. But God told Abraham to lead, and he didn't. His father did. His father was the one who led them there. So his father takes him to this place that he's familiar with, that this was his hometown. This is a place that he grew up. Somehow got down to the Ur of Chaldees. But this, this, is, this is interesting to me because it's like this. It's like God saying to you, leave Southern California. And I want you to go to the promised land of Canby. See, I'm referring to Canby as the promised land. That's just, it is. Go to the promised land of Canby. And so you pack up everything, your family, all your belongings. You do that and you head north all the way on I-5. And for some reason... You stop in Weed, California. I don't know why you'll stop in Weed, California. No offense to those listening from Weed. I just don't know why you'd stop there. You're told to go to Canby. You stop in Weed. Weed is a border town. By the way, Haran is a border town. Haran sits on the border of Mesopotamia and the Promised Land. So here you are. You're this close. You're almost there. But you stop. And you stay there for for 15 years in this border town. Now, I'm going to put these pieces together for you. This is what happened. God told Abraham three things. He said, leave your home, leave your family, leave your relatives, and go to the land that I'll show you. Well, he did the first thing, but not the other two. 
And when I look at this, I, there's so many lessons that seem to emerge out of this. The lesson for me is whatever your past, whatever that past is, whatever your upbringing is, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever you've experienced in your past. And we see that come to play in Abraham's life. Whatever happened in your family, it can either be a hitching post or it can be a guidepost. You always make that decision. You can decide to say, you know what? I'm defeated. I'm done. It's over. It's going to be a hitching post. I, I'm, 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 I'm slave. I'm a slave to my past. Or in Jesus Christ, you can say, no, I'm not going to let this be a hitching post. This isn't going to be an anchor in my life. This is going to be a guidepost. You can let it either hold you back or you can learn from it and see it redeemed in your life. Our past can delay us or help us move forward. Our past can delay us or help us move forward. By the way, the word Haran literally translated means delay means delay. So the very word that they that, that, that uh, labeled the city is exactly what they did. So they're there for 15 years. And the thing that you want to pay attention to here when you look at this passage of Scripture is you want to pay attention to what God is saying in all of this, again, to Abraham. And especially we have to stop right here in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 12 because a covenant is made. There's an agreement that happens here. There's this exchange between God and Abraham that actually becomes a launch pad for you and me. It becomes a launch pad for the gospel. Listen to what it says again. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will be a blessing, or you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Did you hear those promises? I mean, those promises are amazing. Five times. Five times God says, I will. Th this is a big deal. It's a big deal to me. I think it's a big deal to all of us because anything that's great, anything that lasts, anything that endures in my life, it's because God did it. It's not because I did it. It isn't because you did it. And I think here's the cautionary tale for me, because sometimes as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, I, I look at Christianity and think it's all about what I do. It's all about how I witness. It's all about how I work. It's all about what I get done. And we can, we can get consumed with that. And, and it becomes a self-centric gospel as, as opposed to a gospel that has been given to me, that has pursued me, that's come after me. The truth is, we can't do anything for God until we realize what God has done for us. Always keep that in front of you. 1 John chapter 4, it says, we love him because he first loved us. God made the first move. God came for you. That's the good news. That's the gospel, and we see it here stand out. The gospel is right here in front of us. It's like God saying to Abraham, I understand you were a pagan idolater. I understand that you experienced tragedy in your young age. I understand that you can't have children. And because I understand your brokenness, I want you to know something. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God will. 
Just say that out loud. I will. God will. He does that. So it's God that comes through. It's God who makes a difference. I had no ability to, to, to do anything on my own. It's, it's once I was far off, but now I've been brought near. Ephesians says this. Now I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. The gap has been closed because Jesus came and he died for me. Abraham had no ability to have children, but God would bless him and make him a great nation. All things are possible with God. So whatever you're seeing is impossible. Whatever the chasm of impossibility is for your life right now, I want you to look at that, stare it straight in the face, and just say, God will. God will. God will. God will. Because God will make it. Now I want you to look at verses 10 through 20. You notice there's three major passages that we look at here. This is the second part of the chapter. The first part was Abram's testimony. Now the second part is his testing. How many know that whenever God says he's going to bless you, there's always a test to the blessing? <laughs> that whenever you have a testimony, there's always going to be a testing. And this is the testing. And I, I hope, I really do, I hope you're encouraged by what you're about to hear and find out that the first real test of faith comes after God gives all these promises and has a covenant with, with Abraham and the first real test and Abraham fails. He, he falls flat on his face. He, he's called the father of faith. He's called the father of all who believe. So what happens? He failed believing the promises of God. And here's what it says in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Now, Picture that. This is the promised land. Now there's a famine in that promised land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while. And because of the famine was severe, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, hey, I know what a beautiful woman you are. I'm glad he sees that. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. And then they're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. So say this with me. Let's hatch this plan. Say you are my sister. So that I will be treated well for your sake uh, and, and my life will be spared because of you. So when Abraham came to Egypt and the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful, very beautiful woman. Uh, and the, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys male and female servants and camels, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham and said, what have you done to me? I mean, this guy's he, he's a pagan, but he's smart enough to know when there's a ruse. I mean, all of a sudden, when she's not there, it's good, and when she comes, it's bad. So he's figuring it out. He's putting two and two together. And he says, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her in to be my wife? And now then, here is your wife. Here she is. Take her and get the heck out of Dodge. By the way, that's pretty close to what it was said there. You see all those exclamation marks? Yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. He said, now you just take her and get going. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. Look at verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land. What? 
wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham, uh, you've been telling me that this is a promised land. I've heard you talk about this. You say God told you it. And there's all these dreams. And now we get there and there's a famine. What's, what's happening here? I can imagine the conversation that went on between Abraham and Sarah. I just can imagine that. I mean, they, they step through those arches. They see the, the, the promised land. There's a famine in the land. And Abraham says, honey, we're here. Uh, we've made the promised land. We're here. Really? Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, sweetie, but there is a famine. And I don't know if we can stay here. I don't know if this is the place we should be. I would imagine that Abraham is pretty desperate at this point. Do you know you do dumb things out of desperation? I mean, it wasn't as he pictured it. It wasn't as he painted it. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes God will disguise the promised land with a famine. There are some times that he will tell you, go to the promised land, and you get there, and there's a famine, and you think you've been tricked. But you know what it's all about? It's all about you trusting in him and not what you see with your eyes in the promised land. He wants you to trust the one who gave the promise more than the promise itself. So he gets here, and there it is. It's all in front of him. I can't imagine how disappointed she was, how utterly disappointed she was. I've never experienced this on, 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 uh, at this, this magnitude, but I have experienced that. Men, there are times this happens. Uh, I remember we were in southern Oregon. We were new in ministry. We were moving up to Portland, and uh, Annette sent me out ahead, and I was headed to the promised land. And uh, we went, and I looked for apartments. I was just hunting apartments, and I, and I found one. And, and, I, and I put a deposit down, paid, I think, first and last month's rent. Annette hadn't seen it yet. And we get there, and she stands in the threshold of this apartment door, looks in, and she breaks down crying. And she goes, I don't like this place. <laughs> and you know, I'm going, oh, no, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I brought her here. Now she's going to experience a famine. But God's always faithful. God's always faithful. We got in. We made it our home. It was a place of promise for us. You can do that. God can work in your life and make a difference. Isn't it interesting that the land God gave them was a famine in it? And so Abraham, he goes down to Egypt. Why Egypt? He went to Egypt for one primary reason. Egypt was not, was not susceptible to the seasonal rains. Egypt was a place where there was constant fertility. It was in the, the Nile Valley. It was in the Nile River area. They were always good and lush year-round. Canaan wasn't. Canaan depend on, if you've been there, depends on the seasons, depends on when it rains. Well, it hadn't rained, obviously, there for a while. So they're going to a place where it is raining and it, and, and it, is, fl it is plush and it is lush and, and the seasons don't really make that land fluctuate. So he says to Sarai, listen, we're going there. You are so beautiful. I don't want them to think that you're my wife because they'll kill me. They'll take you. So let's lie. Let's lie about this. And so they hatch the plan and they lie. And we know what happens from there. The man of faith, God's hero of the Old Testament, doesn't have much faith here, does he? I mean, he hatches a plan to lie. Now, what I think is so critical about this story, it says that she was 65. Sarah was 65, and she was a, she was a knockout. Now, 65 in any culture, you can't dismiss it like that. She was on in years away. She was beautiful. And it says here that she was very beautiful. 
So God told Abraham to go to Egypt. Did God tell him to do that? No, God didn't say that. God never said, go to Egypt. Isn't this interesting? God never said to go to Haran. He never said to go to Egypt. Listen, when we do things on our own, it never ends up well. It never ends up well. Remember, testing is designed to strengthen our faith muscles. That's what it's designed to do. When we hatch our own plans, it doesn't ever come out. It doesn't work out. When we follow God, it always works out. So there are a few things I want to close with. A few things you can apply to your own life. Uh, a few more things added on if we haven't already applied some things. One thing is this. Our sin always affects others. Remember that. You, you never sin isolated. There's no such thing as isolated sin. My sin affects other people. There's a domino effect. Abraham's sin affected everyone else around him. You see that in the Bible. Remember in Joshua chapter 7, Achan's sin, after they'd taken Jericho, they were told to put aside these precious stones and, 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 and uh, gold and silver. Achan snuck in, took them, and, and they were defeated the first time they went into Ai. Thousands of people die because of Achan's sin. Do you remember in, in 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21, where David takes a census? God says, hey, don't do that. You're going to trust in your own might. Don't do that. But he does. He takes a census. What happens? 70,000 men die because of his disobedience. Sin always affects others. Number two, our doubt can lead to disobedience. Sustained doubt. I'm not talking about doubt that we go through and we struggle through as our spiritual growth and we develop. I'm talking about sustained doubt in God's word and God's ability can lead us away from trusting in Jesus and his word. If you camp out in the camp called doubt, it can lead you to another camp called disobedience. And God says, you be sure that I'm there. Be sure of my word. Trust in me. And then the third thing is our God will call us, at times he'll call us out of certainty into uncertainty. And I'm coming back to where I started today. Genesis 12, 1 says this, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. Basically, he's saying, just pick up, go, and I'll tell you what you need to know. This will be a need-to-know basis. Just, just go, and I'll, I'll tell you along the way. That's a scary proposition. I mean, you're bringing everybody with you, your family and everybody. But there's, there, there's this thing that God says, you know, you're comfortable in your certainty. And I think that's true in our faith at times. We, we're looking, and I, I think it's happening now. We're trying to find things that we know are certain because there's, it's, the world's been so uncertain. And we just want to grab on to things. And what I'm going to say to you this is I'm going to say, don't grab too quick the things you think are certain because they may not be. The only thing you can take a hold of that is, is Jesus and his word. So what happens is you get called out of this certainty. I, I can expect everything here. I, I know it all lines up. It's all good. And I, 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 I can see it. This is my day. I eat breakfast. I have lunch. And I have dinner. And I know. I can count on. This is my routine. It's certain. And then God says, well, that's good for you. I'm glad you feel so comfortable there. Now I'm going to kick you out of there. Now I'm going to move you away. I'm going to just take you right away from certainty, and I'm going to launch you into uncertainty. And God does that. These past few years have shown me how much 
We want certainty. Even to the degree we'll take something that we know is wrong. Even though we take something that we know won't lead us to where God wants us to go. But it's certain. Listen, we're in a time where certainty does bring us a measure of feeling safe and comfortable. While uncertainty can bring fear and anxiety. There's no no question about that. Jesus spoke to that. He said this in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? So God's saying, pay attention to me today. Listen, we all want certainty. I get it. But what we all really need is God's sovereignty. And I pray that God's sovereignty work in your life. That you believe in him and hold on to him. And I'm going to just invite our, our uh, worship team. We're going to close th- this morning our time together with a song we sung earlier because I just love it. It's the goodness of God. It's about the goodness of God. So I want you to just go ahead and stand with me for those that are home watching. You can, you can hum along, sing along with us as well. But what we want to do right now is just from our lips, just declare God's goodness. We have to hear ourselves say that. God, you are good. You've been so good and faithful to me. Even in the uncertain times, I can always trust in your sovereignty. That's what God can do for us. That's what he wants to do for us. Let's, let's sing this together. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.